0: This is your host, Abby Martin, creator of MediaRoots.org.
1: This is your co-host, Robbie Martin. This is part two of our episode about 9-11, and we thought we'd spend most of the time on this second part of it, talking about the anthrax attacks, because they were not only the only other, you know, hype terrorist attack that happened around 9-11, but they allowed um, the Iraq war to take place. Uh, They scared everybody. Um, The people who were first targeted by the anthrax attacks were postal workers and just completely random people. It was this event and the catalyst for everybody being scared of terrorism. It was no longer localized.
0: Right. Yeah, it ratcheted up the fear to everyone in the United States. I mean, the 9-11 attacks were one, one part of it. It was like one part of the chilling effect, but then the anthrax attacks were like, it was like the chilling effect permeated everywhere. Anyone was a victim at that point.
1: Yeah, even people who lived in remote areas who still had mailboxes were now susceptible targets. If you thought you were unaffected by the war on terror after 9-11, the anthrax attacks brought it back home for everybody.
0: And the fact that it was a biological weapon was just so scary because that's like the scariest thing that you can think of other than nuclear weapons. You know, it's, oh my God, terrorists are going to get their hands on a biological weapon or a chemical weapon. Yeah.
1: It's something you can't smell or, you know, see it's, it could just be released and you would never, you know, you would get a disease later. It's, it's, it was meant to frighten the public. It opened the door for the whole WMDs era of our government where we were starting to talk about other nations that had biological and chemical weapons. If it weren't for the anthrax attacks, those uh, seeds wouldn't have been able to grow so well.
0: The anthrax attacks happened on October 3rd of 2001, so we're talking about not even a month after 9-11. We're yeah. already still in just this completely paralyzed mode as a country, and then the anthrax attacks happen less than a month later. And we're going to go over the case today and just poke holes in, in all the official explanations, and I mean... Essentially, it's admitted now that it came from within the government. And it's just still one of the greatest mysteries and still one of the most underreported things. I mean, all the evidence that's come out over the last nine years about the Antioch attacks points directly to our own government. They even admit that. It's readily admitted.
1: Yeah, if you want to use the term inside job to describe... The anthrax attacks, it's much more appropriate in this case than it would be to describe the 9-11 attacks because we have admitted statements from the FBI, uh, their press releases. Their most recent statements have said that the anthrax came from Fort Detrick, Maryland, which is a a military bioweapons lab. So no matter which way you look at the anthrax attacks, it was an inside job. Um, The FBI's official story is that Bruce Ivins acted alone, and sent these anthrax letters out to everybody. But he was a government employee who had access to anthrax spores. Our theory is that someone within our own government, along with several other people in our own government, wanted to frame Arab Muslim terrorists uh, for spreading anthrax out to American citizens. And they were able to do this with without the media really following up or doing any true investigative reporting of these events. Um,
0: yeah, first let's let's talk about what the anthrax attacks were. I mean, let's just refresh people's memory here. You know, it happened on October third, two thousand one. The attacks killed five people, closed down a Senate building, Senate office building, and caused a national panic. The anthrax was sent to Senators Tom Daschle, Patrick Leahy, and Russ Feingold.
1: Yeah, and uh, and several more people were. Tested and shown uh, tested positive for anthrax spores, but didn't die. I think over twenty eight congressional staffers were found to have um, had anthrax spores in their system. It shows you, you how easy it
0: is to spread.
1: Yeah, airborne. The the anthrax letters when they were sent they were very peculiar. I mean the way that they were actually worded. The anthrax letter sent to Tom Daschle, for instance, is written in this like weird capitalized block letter kind of handwriting, and it says, you "Take penicillin." this is anthrax death to America, death to Israel, Allah is great. And then all the other, (laughs) yeah, all the other letters that came out said, said similar things, slight variations, but that same weird handwriting and the same strange, you know, half Arabic, half English Mm -hmm. phrase, Allah is great. Usually a Muslim would say Allahu Akbar or God is great. It's just very peculiar that that phrase would be in there. And then also, The fact that they say take penicillin now, if you wanted to kill as many people as possible in a terrorist attack, wouldn't you just not tell them what they had? Wouldn't it just be like a letter with anthrax in it and not like with any text attached to it? Absolutely. That doesn't make any
0: (laughs) sense. Yeah, I didn't even think about that aspect of it. It was also sent to numerous media organizations. NBC, the New York Post.
1: Yeah, Dan Rather. We can only speculate why he was the target of anthrax. Um, but he received a letter.
0: Maybe it was just to shut up the media, you know, just to scare political players and also media organizations who might have been more vocal.
1: The letters were sent to Tom Daschle, who was the Democratic Senate majority leader at the time, and Russ Feingold and Patrick Leahy. Russ Feingold was the only senator to vote against the Patriot Act, and he has voted against its renewal every subsequent time. Tom Daschle, Put immense pressure on Russ Feingold to pass to, to vote for the Patriot Act, you know, because he wanted everybody to stand unanimously. And uh, so, those were the two targets of the of the anthrax letters. One was the Senate Majority Leader to cause an effect where, from the top down, he would pressure all his fellow Democratic senators to vote for the Patriot Act, and then Russ Feingold, the only holdout on the Patriot Act. I mean, it's incredibly coincidental that some terrorists outside, you know, terrorists or whatnot, would have wanted to send it to these two people.
0: It just seems really interesting. What was the motive of, of a rogue Al Qaeda operative working to send anthrax to these specific people? It doesn't make much sense.
1: No, it does not. Um, why
0: would they? Yeah, why would they go after people that are opposing the government? Isn't that helping the government? <laughs> like yeah, and the- going after the people that are that are not going along with them necessarily at the time. The, the tendency,
1: yeah. The the Patriot Act was just completely shoved down their throats. They uh, they didn't give anybody time to read it, and they just demanded that they pass it and vote on it. And you know, it's it calls into question who who were the architects of the Patriot Act. It would be interesting to follow up on that. The people who sent the anthrax letters seem like their motivation was to get the Patriot Act passed.
0: Viet Dinh was the author of the Patriot Act.
1: Interesting. I I, I don't know who he is, but. Be interesting to find out more about him, but I think that, yeah, I mean, that's the that's the main motivation that we can pull from it. Besides, also trying to scare the American public because if and I thinking at, more terrorist attacks were following.
0: And if you look at yeah, if you look at these bizarre letters that talk about Allah in a really weird, um, detached way from like real Muslims would talk about Allah. And if you look at Stephen Hatfield and Bruce Ivins, what would be their motive to frame Muslims?
1: Yes, yeah, st- if independently. And just so the audience knows, Stephen Hatfill and Bruce Ivins were the two other people of interest in the anthrax investigations that the FBI did. And we'll talk later about kind of what happened to them and mm-hmm. you know, if,
0: you know if Stephen Hatfill or Bruce Ivins really did write write that weird letter and send it with anthrax, it just seems like there would be no motive for them to act independently and try to frame Arabs for this. And secondly, the FBI immediately knew that the anthrax did not come. They knew they knew
1: within months, yeah, that it didn't come from an outside entity.
0: Yeah, and they knew that it was like a very highly specialized grade of anthrax that could only have come from these you know, weapons labs that we have.
1: And I want to go back a little bit to the psychology of why the anthrax attacks was so important to scare the American public into going along with all these things. Civil mm-hmm. liberties erosion, all the things we talked about that 9-11 you know, caused as a result. Um, this put in the public mind that it wasn't just like a singular event. Like 9-11 in and of itself could be, you know, after 9-11, you could look back on it right after the event and say, well, maybe this is just like a fluke. You know, one terrorist attack finally got through to the United States. But the anthrax attacks... Chilled the public again and kind of showed everybody, no, look, it's happening again, and it's going to happen again mm-hmm. regularly. It's going to keep happening. It's going to keep let happening. Let us do what we want right exactly. now. Exactly, and it, it was all about that idea that it's going to be a frequent occurrence. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's important. To you have to look at nine eleven and the anthrax attacks together, and also other little things that happen afterwards, like the mostly untalked about now DC sniper the DC incident. DC
0: sniper, yeah,
1: where. It happened that they were two Muslim guys and they tried to tie that into the whole war on terror, that these are some sort of crazy Muslim guys who were taking revenge on America's foreign policy.
0: The part that disgusts me the most about the government propping up Al-Qaeda being involved at the anthrax thing is that the fact that they knew that it wasn't Al-Qaeda
1: absolutely even
0: if it was some independent rogue guy within these weapons labs releasing anthrax they knew that it wasn't an Al-Qaeda operative and the fact that they like let the public believe that it was and propped up that propaganda to try to sell more of what they were doing is absolutely disgusting and
1: it's, I mean And you can't argue that, you know, one arm of the government doesn't know what the other arm is doing. So that's why they kept spreading (laughs) this propaganda about it coming from Al-Qaeda. That's absolutely untrue. I mean, you wouldn't think that the Bush administration would have, if they were actually moral and they were actually interested to find out who did it, wouldn't have been like, well, who did this? You know, I mean, they wouldn't (laughs) have asked the FBI. It's just absurd to think about it. And, And Glenn Greenwald. He, he writes some excellent analysis about some of the propaganda that followed the anthrax attacks and the way it was used to catalyze the war in Iraq. It, it happened in several stages, but one of the initial stages was that ABC News started reporting using anonymous sources from inside the U.S. government. They said up to four to five anonymous, well-placed sources told them that there was a chemical inside these anthrax letters, called bentonite, which directly tied the anthrax to Saddam Hussein's weapons lab. Um, That this was the signature, the hallmark of the Saddam Hussein's weapon lab anthrax, Mm -hmm. bentonite. Mm -hmm. ABC News never retracted the story. They continued reporting this for months after the anthrax attacks happened. And then after that little threads started to get picked up. Like John McCain was on David Letterman talking about how there's evidence to show that the anthrax came from Iraq and that's all he said. Bush in his State of the Union speech, it was the first time that he mentioned Iraq in two thousand and two he said that they're part of the axis of evil. And so they were kind of setting the stage and the the pieces you know, yeah, it's just another to,
0: coincidence that this whole thing just happened to fall in line with the propaganda that they'd already like set into place. Yeah, just like yeah. felt perfectly with their plan. Mm-hmm. What a coincidence, yet again. I mean, they
1: already wanted to go into Iraq, but if you really think back to it, there wasn't a way to directly connect 9-11 to Iraq. It was the anthrax it that was really able to do it. It really was the anthrax. People that's forget so that. Because, People,
0: we had, yeah, that's what started the whole biological weapon yeah. thing.
1: And, and, and the, even the UN weapons inspections. When we made the case to the UN, Colin Powell holds up a vial... And he says, in this file, I have enough anthrax to kill thousands of people. And basically telling you that these mobile biological weapons labs in Iraq are <laughs> an imminent threat to our country.
0: I just remember that, the mobile weapons labs. I remember that being like a talking point.
1: Yeah. It was like they tried to show us aerial photographs of these like vans. <laughs> I mean, it could be anything. It was just, it was just incredible.
0: Uh, It shows you how strong the pre-propaganda is, the propaganda that we were talking about a couple episodes back, how it's necessary to lay out this pre-propaganda in order for other propaganda to flourish. Just for so long, you know, the Bush administration just kept penetrating the propaganda that it was like done by Al Qaeda and it was linked to Iraq that now all this evidence has come out that it was completely within our own government and there's been no no official has come out and like totally retracted everything and said we were wrong.
1: Yeah, and or at least apologized yeah, for misleading apologize. the public into thinking it was Muslim terrorists.
0: Yeah, and it's like no one no one unless they're interested in it would actually take the initiative to look up this information now. It's just it's all the damage has been done.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it,
0: the history has been revised already. They've already totally propagandized and we've just moved on. It's like case closed especially after Ivan's apparent suicide.
1: And even after the FBI has come out and said that it came from within our own government, they've announced it, people don't even bat an eyelash. They don't connect
0: the dots. Yeah, they don't go back
1: and think, oh, yeah, that anthrax attacks that I thought were Arab terrorists, oh, the whole time they weren't. That's very interesting. So my government's been lying to me for the last eight years. Nobody cares. The people who... We're planting these stories to ABC. ABC News says they had four to five government officials, anonymous, who were telling them that the anthrax had bentonine in it, and, and, <laughs> and all this, and these chemicals that tied it to Iraq. So you would think after ABC found out that it came from within our own government, They would want to find out as journalists, investigative journalists, as moral individuals, as Mm justice-seeking people, who were the ones who planted these false stories? Because maybe they were the ones who also sent out the anthrax. Because what other motivation would that person have to send out the anthrax? So they're they're aiding and covering up a crime. They know that someone within the U.S. government was planting
0: all these stories, and and they're covering that up. That's when you see that there's no difference between the media mouthpiece to the government. I mean, the media operates as a conduit to display rhetoric and propaganda and people trust it because it's this other institution. They think it's somehow independent and that they're actually still working for the people. They don't understand that it's just done. It's just simply like a conduit to, to give us the propaganda and for us yeah. to believe it.
1: Yeah. It's a, put a, put a, you know, a face on it and make it seem like it's not yeah. coming directly from the government. It's just,
0: it's amazing to me that they would get these stories from the government and just print them. I mean, what the hell happened to investigative journalism? The government's the last person you should believe.
1: And that's the only explanation that I can give for the reason that the mainstream media never really followed up on this anthrax investigation is because uh, people on the top must know the real truth and that it's too much of a third rail to Mm -hmm. even touched, they would immediately be in trouble with the federal government. I mean, if they started pointing fingers that some, it was some sort of orchestrated campaign that a conspiracy within the federal government to kill American citizens, <laughs> they would be in some heavy shit. I mean, they would lose all of their access. Mm-hmm. They don't want to make waves like that.
0: Yeah. It's easier just to demonize one person and scapegoat the person just like a, an Oswald. Before we get into the timeline and talking about Ivan's and, and Stephen Hatfield, a lot of high-level government officials were actually on the vaccination for anthrax before the anthrax attacks happened yes it's peculiar it's another coincidence
1: richard cohen a writer for the washington post i think he still writes the washington post he admitted that he was told by a high-ranking government official again anonymous (laughs) not willing to say his name which again is a cover-up of basically murder, that he should get on Cipro before the anthrax attacks even happened. So that someone in the U.S. government told him that he should get on Cipro to me is negligent homicide. He should have that person in the government and that media person should have Told the world, it's just because like telling everybody people not could to fly. It's like saying yeah.
0: not to. F- it's just like saying, "No, oh, don't fly." Well, why aren't we worth the same value as this person that you're telling to get on this medication?
1: Judicial Watch, the same organization that uncovered the fact that the FBI had a lot of the hijackers' names and didn't do anything about them, they also uncovered the fact that Bush. And Cheney and several other members of the Bush administration were on Cyprus uh, weeks before the anthrax attacks took place, so they had foreknowledge of the anthrax attacks and didn't tell the American public. That's that's very troubling. That should make everybody angry. Um, but people will just continue to make excuses, sh- make excuses, use cognitive dissonance to refuse to acknowledge that our government, through willful negligence, let five people die of anthrax poisoning. Let actual members of the the senate Get poisoned with anthrax. I mean, and it's, this is
0: best case scenario. Worst yeah. case best scenario, case is that scenario. they actually orchestrated. Yeah, the we're, whole we're thing. giving them, <laughs> we're, we're
1: kind of in a devil's advocate way, giving them the benefit of the doubt sometimes to this discussion to just even if you think about the anthrax attacks from the best case scenario, they did the least harm. They actually still did things that they should have been prosecuted for in a court <laughs> of law. I mean, that were blatantly illegal, um, blatantly risking public safety,
0: disregard for all human life.
1: Yeah. Totally, basically just full-on sociopathic behavior.
0: Right. And worst case scenario is that they completely framed Stephen Hatfield and Bruce Ivins and killed Bruce Ivins eventually just to close the case and move on, which is what I personally think happened.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of evidence, which we'll get into in a little bit, on why we think Bruce Ivins was killed
0: and why we think the government was clearly responsible for orchestrating this whole thing to prop up their their selling point of the war on terror.
1: Yeah, and it <laughs> sealed the deal on the war on terror. Totally. 9-11 and the anthrax attacks. Totally.
0: It was like a like a pow, like a knockout. It yep. was
1: just like, boom. It was a knockout punch. and doing some research for this episode was that he actually wrote a book in 1993, an unpublished Tom Clancy-like spy novel about how the U.S. government is going to launch biological weapons attacks and blame it on terrorists, false flag terrorist attack. All this time he was working for the U.S. government. He helped them develop and build a biological weapons facility in the mid-90s. And then he worked alongside of Bruce Ivins later on at Fort Detrick, Maryland. I mean, he's gone on record many, many times and said that he doesn't think Bruce Ivins did it, um, that he would have noticed if Bruce Ivins was doing something. But the interesting thing about Stephen Hatfield is what we're going to talk about now is that he was basically stalked and harassed by the FBI for years and years for and years. five with, years. With no criminal charges brought to him. During that time.
0: Yeah, exactly. Meanwhile, the media was just reporting on whatever the government was feeding them. I mean, no one did their own investigation into his guilt. It's really strange.
1: Yeah, they were even, the FBI would even call all the TV news shows and tell them we're going to raid Stephen Hatfield, come out and film, and then they would, it would be all on all the news channels. It was like
0: PR stunts. Yeah. Oh my God.
1: I mean, it's just, it's just extremely disgusting and immoral for them to without bringing criminal charges to a person to indict them in the public eye, to make them on the news. Just like Bradley Manning. Yeah, just like all these people. I Mm -hmm. mean, yeah, like you were saying earlier, if you can't assassinate them, if you can't kill them and do it right, then just smear them into the ground until Mm -hmm. they're completely discredited.
0: Absolutely. And Stephen Hatfield came out later. Eventually, after five years of being surveilled, harassed, totally... Defamed in the public eye. Finally, he was awarded
1: $5.8 million.
0: $5.8 million lawsuit settlement from our government just to say, sorry, we ruined your life and told everyone that you were the anthrax perpetrator. Sorry about that.
1: He sued Attorney General John Ashcroft, I think back in 2004 um, when Ashcroft was still in office and yeah, it is. It, to me, it's really suspicious that uh, that the government so giving him so much money. I mean, you could you could speculate, but I think very probably that it was some form of hush money because they didn't bring him any criminal charges. It's not like they arrested him and then released him out of jail, or they like beat him up in jail or anything like that. I mean, people who endure that kind of thing don't even get settlements near that amount. I mean, Johannes Mezgerly, the you know the murder of mm-hmm. Oscar Grant. I don't even think his family. If they do it in civil court, they're going to get maybe that amount. Yeah, you know, normally, And that's a huge publicity trial. It, it's normally
0: you'd see, you know, if there was someone who you felt was guilty, you'd put them in jail and then you'd put them in a court and you'd put the evidence up. Instead, we just saw like a five-year witch hunt
1: yeah which which in and of itself is very suspicious why would they be doing this to this person embarrassing them making them and go through this enduring this awful big brother like behavior where they'd be surveilling him every day they would let the tv media show them digging through his garbage i mean things like this are extremely embarrassing i mean imagine just if this happened to you and you were being stalked by the mm-hmm. FBI, I mean, framed even, and, I mean, I mean, FBI agents are pretty weird, kind of creepy guys. I mean, the FBI agents that talked to me were very bizarre. I mean, mm-hmm. I was creeped out by them the whole time I was around them during that beheading hoax incident where they interviewed me. They, they were very bad cop, good cop. They were using weird psychological tactics on me. I mean, I can just only imagine how terrified and how awful you would feel something like that was happening to you on a regular basis
0: for five years straight. Um, yeah. and you know, after Bruce Ivins supposedly killed himself after his apparent suicide, Stephen Hatfield was, I think he was asked in an interview, you know, did you ever contemplate suicide? And he said, I contemplated all the time. He's like, but I knew that I could never kill myself because then I would be guilty. I would automatically be guilty in the court of public opinion. He said, and I knew that I could not do that. I could not let them do that to me. Even like talks about the government like that.
1: We're going to link to that interview with Stephen Hatfield in this interview right now on the SoundCloud link.
0: Yeah, check out the SoundCloud timeline to check out all the music and resources that we're talking about. We're going to link to a bunch of stuff on this episode and check out the previous episode about 9-11 if you haven't listened to it already.
1: Um, And there was an interesting History Channel documentary that came out, I think it was last year, where in the History Channel documentary, they actually have... someone saying that the the anthrax attacks were an inside job and in the documentary they show kind of a a demonstration of what weaponized anthrax spores look like and when these people open these letters some of the more complex forms of weaponized anthrax that were sent there's some argument of anthrax experts saying that there are different forms of anthrax found in the various letters. Some of them Mm -hmm. more sophisticated than others. I'm not uh, knowledgeable enough to really Mm -hmm. comment on that. I mean, that's interesting, but what we do know and what's been proven by the FBI, um, they, they haven't denied this is that many of the letters had weaponized anthrax strains in them, which when you basically open a, a letter filled with this stuff, it's like, I don't know if you've ever like open a bag of powdered sugar or something really fine granular powder Mm -hmm. in a room with good lighting to be Mm -hmm. able to see it in the air It's it looks like smoke basically I mean that's what it looks like the weaponized anthrax was like invisible wispy smoke flying around this room that would just you would inhale it without even knowing you did and in this documentary they show that the anthrax to be weaponized would have taken months of preparation and specialized equipment and, and um, specialized environment to be able to do this in without like infecting yourself or the people around you.
0: And let's play that clip right now.
1: Yeah, we'll play that History Channel clip. Within weeks,
2: five would be dead and thousands of others exposed to one of the deadliest bacteria known to man.
3: There are very few people who have the bench skills
2: to make a product this good. Federal investigators discovered clues to the perpetrator's identity encoded in the bacterium itself.
0: There are 89 different types of anthrax, but each one has its own kind of trail. This one led directly back to our own defense establishment.
2: Was the U.S. government hiding a terrorist inside America's biodefense community? Some say yes, and that the official government investigation was a sham.
3: The only people who know anything about the subject are also the suspects.
2: They're protecting this individual.
0: What we're dealing with here is an inside job with a real insider who has secrets that nobody wants to get out. It's going to be too humiliating, too embarrassing.
2: All the spores were sent for immediate forensic testing. By the 10th of October, the analysis of the spores was complete. The results were horrifying. The bacterium that killed Robert Stevens and eventually infected seven of his colleagues was identified as the Ames strain, a strain long favored by and under the near-total control of the U.S.
0: biodefense program. So that's a it's a great clip because it's just the History Channel. The History Channel, you know, in their own investigation, basically saying on public record that it was an inside job that the anthrax came from um, Fort Detrick. Fort Detrick.
1: And the History Channel have been one of the biggest thorns in the side of the 9 and Truth Movement that are continually making debunking documentaries about it. And what's hilarious is they have this ridiculously dumb show on right now called like Decoded, and it's about how the Statue of Liberty is actually a symbol for Lucifer. Um, and that's the type of stuff that they're taking seriously on these shows. But then when it comes to nine eleven, they actually just act like poo poo it and say the whole thing is just a bunch of junk science and all these conspiracy theorists are idiots basically. Mm-hmm. And then, but yeah, it's weird to have them making this documentary that basically spells out a lot of the things that we're saying here, but it's curious that the media never did anything remotely close to this type of investigation mm-hmm. on their own or laid it out that's way in like a media special. Glenn Greenwald is the most comprehensive um, reporter in this area, and, and he that's... doesn't
0: go. F- I mean, he he lays it all out. Anyone who's a critical thinker can read Glenn Greenwald's analysis of the anthrax attacks. He has a whole archive of them. You can go check him out at Salon dot com. But anyone with a critical mind can go through his research and connect the dots yourself. Yeah, and it's... I just think Greenwald is you know playing it safe, but he clearly knows by his yeah, I
1: mean, he he doesn't go as far as saying that ABC is news is covering up murder, a conspiracy to murder American citizens from our own government, but he almost says that. And <laughs> and I commend him for that. I mean, it's yeah. those those articles are probably the riskiest most, you know, most uh controversial things he's ever written and they haven't really gotten too much traction but people who are interested in the anthrax attacks go back to a lot of the things he you know compiled
0: i just love his whole the ultimate logical fallacy when it comes to the government story about 9-11 and in the anthrax attacks it's just like just because the government is saying that these people are responsible doesn't mean that they are like we should all demand to see the evidence to have these people on trial and to see what you know face the claims that our government is making. It's very important to do that.
1: And we should be able to hold the media and and the government accountable for telling us for years and not making a a very prominent public announcement saying, oh no, you know what? It wasn't really Muslim terrorists. Yeah,
0: this is a very important historical event.
1: That in and of itself is very significant and should not be overlooked by people, shouldn't be dismissed. The fact that our government led us to believe that and still to this day hasn't made it Made it very well known that that's not what happened.
0: Yeah, it's just like the whole Gol- Gulf of Tonkin thing coming out like decades later. Yeah. It's just like, by the way, the Gulf of Tonkin didn't even happen, but oh, well. Yeah. No one's going to come out and be like, by the way, the whole Vietnam War was based on false premises. I mean.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's just unbelievable how people still can trust the the mainstream media to deliver us important information I mean to actually think that they're out to like protect us when somebody at the Washington Post was told by a high-ranking official to get on Cipro for knowledge of the anthrax attacks I mean that's that is reprehensible it's disgusting I, f- I think it's criminal I mean I I, I can't even it, it makes me so furious that I can't even really talk about it anymore without
0: <laughs> so after Hatfield was awarded 5.8 million dollars in settlement Bruce Ivins was the new suspect. Bruce Ivins was a top anthrax researcher at the U.S. government's Biological Weapons Research Lab, Fort Diedrich. And for 18 years, he worked there. Mm -hmm. He was working on vaccinations for anthrax. He helped out in elements of the anthrax investigation when Hatfield was a suspect years prior. And all of his colleagues and his supervisors say that he did not do it. They do not believe that he did the anthrax attacks.
1: Stephen Hatfield himself has... You know, and other anthrax experts have said that if he would have actually weaponized this anthrax himself, which we had to have done because he didn't have access to weaponized anthrax, he just had access to the non-weaponized form, uh, that somebody would have noticed him doing this in the lab. I mean, you can't do this. Undetected. Yeah, it's a pretty rigorous process. You can't do process. this after hours. Yeah, you, I mean, you have to do it in a specialized facility. It would take hours and hours and hours to what they call dry the anthrax out and create these different colored layers of it so that from there you would have to shave off a part of it very finely and then crush it into powder. The crushing it into powder part would infect you unless you were completely you know, protected from any, and, and, and his clearance in the lab where he worked, he didn't have that, that technology.
0: Yeah. And, and even elements of the FBI came out soon after they, uh, and said that he was the suspect elements of the government said that they thought that he was not the suspect and that he didn't have the capabilities to do it. So they were contradicting themselves from very early on.
1: They were. And then he was also a suspect very early on. When Stephen Hatfield was a person of interest, the FBI kept calling him. They wouldn't directly say that he was the anthrax attacker because that's defamation. They probably would have to pay more money. The FBI was investigating Bruce Ivins, and the U.S. government lab still gave him clearance, the top clearance during the height of the FBI's mm-hmm. investigation of him. That's illogical. I mean, why would they... Why wouldn't they take away his access at the very least? Yeah. This person's
0: a suspect for killing people with anthrax and you're you're still allowing him to go into high-level security clearances yeah. in weapons laboratories? It's very, That's very bizarre. strange.
1: Um, he also, uh, Bruce Ivins, was also aiding the FBI's investigation of Stephen Hatfield's mm-hmm. attachment to the anthrax attacks. Fi- around a five-day period, he was working at a Red Cross...
0: December 12 to 17 of 02.
1: Yeah. He was uh, working in a Red Cross capacity to, you know, If any of the FBI agents got infected while they were searching for clues in the investigation, he would help them out and kind of decontaminate them. And he was there on site during this process where they were sweeping the pond in Fort Mm -hmm. Didrick, Maryland find some sort of weird evidence to tie Stephen Hatfield to the anthrax attacks.
0: Before he supposedly killed himself, Bruce Ivins told his family and friends, this is from a Fox News article um, about the case, but he was telling his friends and family that the government was stalking him, basically doing exactly what they were doing to Stephen Hatfield. They were stalking him. They were surveilling him. They were trying to bribe his son with $3 million. This is a quote from him, offered his son $3 million to rat out his father and basically like, Mm -hmm. like give them something to go on, you know? Yeah. And they tried to turn, this is a quote from the article. They tried to turn his hospitalized daughter against him with photographs of dead anthrax victims. So it's, it's disgusting. (laughs) They were doing the same thing over and over again. And you know, his death is highly suspect as well, but
1: yeah, let's talk about his actual death a little bit. In July ninth, 2008, Bruce Ivins dies in an apparent suicide. Um, and it only took the FBI around seven days to announce their case fully documented um, to the press that Bruce Ivins was the perpetrator of the anthrax attacks.
0: So interesting. If they had that documented evidence, where was it before he died?
1: Why couldn't they bring charges to him? Hmm. I mean, the, char- the the evidence must have been very flimsy or not strong enough to be able to bring actual criminal charges to him. Right. Yeah, the timing is is, is very odd
0: they couldn't even like wait a second they're just like here it would be so much more believable if they just didn't release it so quickly after yeah, like mean, what it, is going yeah. on yeah
1: and i mean his family was you know was denying that he committed suicide then at the same time they that his, he committed suicide and at the same time the fbi presented this case they were also simultaneously anonymous sources and people within inside the us government were smearing bruce Ivins and uh and all these character assassination sort of ways they were you know, saying he was mentally ill and he did have some history of mental illness and, and drug problems um, but they were basically saying that he was a mentally ill stalker uh, who Acted completely stalking? on his own. Well, they claim that he used to stalk girls at his college sorority. This oh, is another sucks. smear job. I mean, just imagine someone dying, you're, some member of your family yeah. dying from an apparent suicide. And then the media is just talking about how they were a stalker, how girls from college are being interviewed. I mean, it just, it's incredible.
0: Yeah, it seems like just the ad hominem attacks are just... They're so prevalent when there's anything that you should be paying attention to or suspicious of. It's just like ad hominem ad hominem and yeah over and over again. But Bruce Ivins, so he apparently commits suicide by a Tylenol overdose. Tylenol, Tylenol takes two days to completely toxify your liver,
1: and and to and to actually kill you. It would be a, a painful, drawn out. Agonizing experience to die from a Tylenol overdose, and then supposedly he took Tylenol PM, which every pill has also something like twenty-five milligram of dimenhydrinate, which is the same chemical in Dramamine. You can. Actually, have like a, a terrifying psychedelic experience if you ingest over like twenty five dramamine
0: And he, they claim that he took two whole two bottles. entire
1: bottles of Tylenol PM. So basically, he was going through this agonizing two day prolonged experience where his liver was slowly dying, um, while he was having some of the most terrifying, realistic hallucinations that anyone could ever possibly have. Being a scientist and someone with history in medicine and knowing about drugs and chemicals, that is pretty much the worst way to commit suicide the yeah. most painful and terrifying
0: any, yeah no that's absolutely does not make sense that he mm. would do that
1: no and and also the fbi um bruce ivan's lawyers have come out and and, and said that the fbi is partially responsible for his death they should they were be surveilling blamed. Him they were surveilling him 24 hours a day they claim they they claim that coincidentally their investigation was getting almost about ready to to charge him with criminal charges when he committed suicide. So they kind of got caught in a trap there because that meant that they were surveilling him continuously. If he took him two days to die from a Tylenol overdose, which most medical doctors agree that it did, then the FBI would have known that something was odd and they should have done something to help him. Yeah, they see
0: him go buy Tylenol at the store. They 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 probably had someone follow
1: him to the convenience store. They checked the receipt. I mean, the fact that they... Let him commit suicide under their <laughs> Let <it> watchful <laughs> eye. Um, it's pretty weird. I mean, it, the I mean, even let's say they didn't kill him, and then that that, yeah. and, but and that, but that's admitted that that's happened. Yeah. That's awful.
0: Yeah, there was no suicide note. All of his colleagues, his family, said that they know that he didn't commit suicide. There was no autopsy done, and it just it just doesn't make sense. Nothing about his suicide makes sense. Interestingly enough, World Net Daily reports on. The fact that Ivan's, you made a really good point about this earlier, but the handwriting on the notes could have easily been compared to Bruce Ivan's handwriting. And and that could have been a big piece of evidence. But unfortunately, um, they couldn't hold that up because it well, yeah, didn't match.
1: I mean, I, I find it very, very suspicious that we've never seen an example of Bruce Ivan's handwriting in the media. I mean, a handwriting analyst would have been able to see that it matched or did not match which we found out that when bruce Ivins was originally questioned after he passed two polygraph tests two he was also he also passed a handwriting analysis test remember dad Mm -hmm. um when he our father this is an interesting story was accused of well the secret service came and visited our house one night and told them that a Fred Martin had sent a death threat to President Jimmy Carter and that my dad needed to, right there on the spot, show him his handwriting, do a handwriting test to prove that he wasn't the the Fred Martin that sent Carter the death threat. So if it's that easy to do on the spot, then obviously it doesn't match up. Bruce Ivan's handwriting does not match the handwriting in the anthrax letters. I can say that without seeing that because I know that that's true. I mean, because if it
0: were, because if it wasn't true, then we would have seen it.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, that's, that to me would be an easy way to make people look the other way. It would be kind of a slam dunk in, in the, in the attempt to just kind of indict him. It would be like, okay, well he did it. That's his handwriting. Unfortunately, they haven't shown us that. I mean, it, it's it's absurd. I mean, I'd like to dig a little deeper and see if we can actually find some his Samples signature his or something. Yeah. yeah,
0: we're gonna play a clip right now um, of Representative Rush Holt pleading for the Obama administration to not close the anthrax investigation. He's he's saying, you know, this is there's no evidence linking Ivan's to the investi- <clears throat> to the investigation, and we need to reopen it. We cannot close it down. And there's just an excellent clip of him kind of just going over why he thinks that Ivins is innocent.
3: Madam Chair, as you may know, the Federal Bureau of Investigation announced last week that it is formally closing its investigation into the 2001 anthrax attacks, a major bioterrorist attack on America. Those attacks are believed to have originated uh, from a post box uh, in New Jersey, disrupting the lives and livelihoods of many of my constituents and yours. We already know that the FBI too quickly jumped to conclusions about the nature and the profile of the culprit or culprits and quickly zeroed in on one individual who later received a multi-million dollar settlement and apology for mistaken accusations. Subsequently, the investigators focused on another individual who then killed himself. And although the FBI never produced any physical evidence tying that individual specifically to the attacks, they closed the case. Indeed, this investigation was botched at multiple points, which is why re-examining it is so important. Thank you for yielding. I want to thank the gentleman very much for his uh, initiative in this effort. Uh, Dr. Ivans was my uh, constituent. Uh, the laboratory at which he worked is in my district, indeed just a few miles from my home. So I was very much involved in this case. Uh, his colleagues say that he would not have done it and the FBI said early on that he could not have done it because the spores were weaponized and he had no ability to do that more recently they have been saying something a bit different than that I have here some quote
1: and in that clip we just watched I think a lot of people would be interested to, to to find out that the Obama administration actually are the ones who have threatened to veto any funding for any money allocated to more anthrax investigation. So there hasn't been an attempt, really a strong attempt, in the federal government to revive it since that FBI basically said Bruce did it with no evidence. But Obama administration has said if you try again, we're we gonna will veto, veto it. Anything. Yeah. We don't we're not gonna let you. So they're closing the door. You know, they're closing that chapter. It's 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 a completely unsolved mystery. I mean, he was a troubled person. He was an unstable, mm-hmm. kind of weird guy, but the US government still let him work in their lab with top clearance for eighteen years, like you were saying. Um so it, I mean, he seems like the perfect fall guy, the perfect patsy.
0: I mean, it's just so unfortunate that Bruce Ivins is dead. It's just such an easy way to just close the book and move on. And just to say, you know, and Obama actually says it would hurt national security if they reopened the anthrax investigation. Oh, damn straight. It would hurt national security. It would hurt national security. You would expose your ass. Yeah. It would unravel everything.
1: Yeah. I mean, it would. Just imagine if the media just did its job and did proper due diligence and reported all the same time that the anthrax attacks were an inside job. And they mm-hmm. just, that was the headline. People would be furious. I mean, they would probably be rioting in some like parts of the country. I mean, people, they just aren't told the truth. It's completely hidden from them.
0: Right. Well, yeah, I mean, the anthrax attacks, it was a six-year investigation, largest inquest in its history, involving 9,000 interviews, 6,000 subpoenas, yet it failed to find a shred of evidence that could be held up In court.
1: So we've just covered the anthrax attacks, and just we'll briefly go over the the most important aspects of the anthrax attacks one more time. Um, Three people that have been linked to the anthrax attacks. Um, person one was Saddam Hussein. The US government, along with ABC News and, and various newspapers and reporters, tried to link together the anthrax attacks with Saddam Hussein and say that they came from his biological weapons lab. Then, when that wasn't necessary to use anymore, and when people were actually starting to be curious about what happened with the anthrax attacks, because they kind of dropped that. After WMDs weren't found, um, they kind of dropped that. And then they started saying that there was a person inside the US government who was was doing it someone acting on their own Stephen Hatfill, and then when Stephen Hatfield successfully sued the U.S. government and settled on 5.8 million dollar settlement then they moved on to Bruce Ivins who was someone that had been working for them for 18 years highest clearance um, you know he was already being looked at he was on like their suspect list um, the whole time he had this clearance
0: they probably have like backup plans like you know, if this falls yeah. through, we'll get, we'll go after this guy. They have like every, everything, everything yeah, all mapped Yeah, the net down. closes in.
1: It's like, uh, <laughs> I mean, and so then this guy conveniently dies from an apparent suicide. And then all this time while the anthrax attacks were happening, you know, five people died as a result of them. Random people that made the populace as a whole mm-hmm. feel like at any time a terrorist could attack them in their home now. That's a very important, huge deal, I think, that needs to be looked at when we talk about 9-11. And then the subsequent attempts to try to link link the anthrax with bentonite, and then it came from Saddam's chemical right. weapons program, that led us into the Iraq War.
0: A lot of people, when I talk to them about 9/11 truth or anthrax, they just a lot of people's common response is, "What is the motive? Why? 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 Why?" And we didn't really talk about our speculation of what the motive was of elements within the own government to carry out both things in order to propagate their uh, agenda.
1: Just let's look at who benefits. Who benefits from these attacks? There's no motive in it for al-Qaeda to do any of these things. And look um, at the
0: motive that the government said was al-Qaeda's motive because they hated us for our freedoms. I mean, how mm-hmm. what do they think <laughs> that we're infants that we don't understand that that doesn't make sense. It's just it's totally irrational and the fact that our that our government told us that is insulting.
1: All of these things that have been put in place since 9/11 uh, that are damaging to this country and you know, to our civil liberties, foreign policy-wise, all these wars that we've launched wouldn't have been possible without 9/11 the military industrial complex in this country and in other countries, they thrive on the idea of just generating conflict and spending money on war.
0: Yeah. Uh, People say who, who, you know, why, what was the motive? You have to look at profit. You know, we live in a corporatist top down, like authoritarian government now where we have certain corporate entities that are just profiting off off the agenda that's enacted by our government. So you have to look at the certain industries that have profited immensely from 9-11 and, and everything that, that's followed. Absolutely. Defense industries. I mean, we just put a lobbyist from Raytheon right inside Obama's administration. We have a ton of Obama officials invested in defense corporations and contracting corporations. You know We mm-hmm. have Halliburton, we have KBR. I mean, all these corporations that are just profiting immensely from from the military-industrial complex growing exponentially and just continuing to engage in these wars, keep producing weaponry. And and if you want to even go further than that, wh- you know, why do they want to? Wh-
1: what's is it just for the money? Is it just you know produce all this weaponry for what? Um, and I think that in a lot of ways, it's this long-term. Global chess game, and it's and it's very Machiavellian in a, in a mm-hmm. sort of way. If you want to imagine, you know, someone like Cheney, why they would have helped perpetrate the nine eleven attacks, it's almost like I could see it in a weird way, like 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 um, Ozymandias from Watchmen, where he's actually rationalizing why it's morally okay to murder innocent people for the greater good. It's like, um, it's like, well. From his, you know, him and Rumsfeld have that unknown knowns, you know, kind of weird Cold War era mentality way of thinking where they think of everything in game theory. They think things like, well, if a terrorist group eventually does get a nuclear bomb, then they'll probably attack us with it. So how will we respond? Um, and you could even take that mind state a step further and say, well, they're going to attack us. Someone's going to attack us with a nuclear bomb anyways. Eventually. So we might as well create this event ourselves to, you know, to react to it in the way that we're going to have to in the future. Anyways, we might as well make these steps now so that because we're going to have to make them in the future anyways, when someone does attack us, it's a form of game theory. Um, you know, then you can, you can overlay it onto just global imperialism. Why, it's why just do we, war. yeah, why it's do war. We,
0: we, we engage and we perpetrate war in order to justify the end goal, I mean, and we kill people openly to try to achieve some sort of end mission. That's war. So of course, we would well, why wouldn't we do that to our own people? And we do that all the time,
1: yeah, and I mean, and even some other more long term investments I think that the people behind these attacks want to make is they want to be able to stay on top for a little bit longer than the people on the bottom. I mean, I think that they probably see the inevitable collapse of the American Empire. But they just want to keep America on top for a, a little longer. I mean, they want to have
0: access to that oil. Power-hungry, sociopathic, yeah, people.
1: Yeah, and they want to be able to, you know, have greater access to that oil in the region. St- strategically, it's it's getting us closer to locking China off to natural resources. I mean, there's so many different strategies that could be in play for what this global imperial is. the grand chessboard. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I recommend everybody go read. Sarkowski's book, *The Grand Chessboard*. I've only read parts of it, but it's—I mean, it's the most fascinating just mm-hmm. insight into someone in—in in this that has this weird Machiavellian way of thinking.
0: And another element of why 9/11 happened, why our government was was involved, is just the element of control the ability to control society. The last thing that a government wants is a free thinking society and a society able to communicate unfettered. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the last thing a government wants a government. The ideal government would be to appear democratic in a functioning democracy, but really um, insidiously fascist. Which and is exactly it, what's been happening.
1: Yeah. And and it would be a lot, they would have a lot less success trying to remove all these rights and protections that we have if they just openly and blatantly just came at us and started beating us up on the streets and throwing us into jail. They've done it by scaring us all into surrendering our rights. Mm-hmm. We've all agreed to surrender our own rights. That's the beauty of this evil machine that's been created is they have, we've all been like, okay, we're, we're going to let you Look at us naked at the airport now. We're it's gonna let so you sick. scan our phone records. I don't care if you spy on me because I don't have anything to hide. I mean that mentality is so destructive that I mean it's going to be the end of us.
0: Yeah, I mean, I encourage everyone to check out, you know, everything that we've talked about. History Commons is a great website and probable collapse is a great hour documentary that talks about the buildings. Unfortunately, there hasn't been a really comprehensive movie done on the Anthrax case, but I hope there is soon kind of spelling it all out.
1: There's some other 9-11 movies we recommend. um, Some of the ones we talked about earlier, uh, Aftermath of 9-11, Unanswered Questions from 9-11, a GNN documentary, uh, 9-11 Press for Truth, which was um, done by Paul Thompson, and some of the 9-11 widows were involved in making the movie. Uh, that's a great film for I think opening people's minds to the whole 9-11 thing that are completely mm-hmm. in the dark or just you know the kind of people who voted for Bush who don't really mm-hmm. want to face that kind of side of things because it's all from the perspective of the family members and because all they the
0: love th- to use the family members they're yeah, like you're trampling on the family members it's like this actually you trampled that. on the family yeah, this members this neutralizes that yeah. yeah it's really good
1: it's completely neutralizes that oh, oh my god I just saw something so disgusting Rudy Giuliani during one of his presidential primary campaign donation fundraisers asked people to donate $9.11 and i oh, seriously still, wanted to he's still, punch the screen still I was like it. oh my god oh is back my god then. yeah
0: and remember the whole freedom fries thing and f- pour french wine down the drain oh my god it's so crazy to just like go over everything that's happened <laughs> well thank you so much everyone for listening to our show we hope you guys learned learned some things, and I hope you guys pass on the information. It's just important to talk about these things and really go over two crucial events that really helped shape our generation and the path that our country has taken. So definitely check out the SoundCloud timeline for more information about the links that we talk about and also music that we play during the show. And tune in next week, and don't forget to donate to mediaroots.org
1: and uh, if you can please go to recordlabelrecords.org to check out um, some of the new compilations that I'm putting out on my label and thank you everybody for listening to our show we hope you enjoyed it bye